Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. Blessed are you, O Holy Virgin Mary, deserving of all praise, for you rose, for from you rose the Son of Justice, Christ our God. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. <clears throat> My dear friends, the good news, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. May the words of the Holy Gospel blot out our sins. Joyful, joyful. Here we celebrate today the birthday of Mary. And it's there's only three birthdays that we celebrate in the whole church year. We normally celebrate the day a person died, because that's their true birthday. Death is your birth into eternal life. But a few people are so important that we celebrate their day that they were born into the world, too. One of those is Jesus, which is obvious. He's our Lord. Another one is John the Baptist, and I don't think many people pay much attention to John the Baptist, but he's some, the church is saying he's very important. We even celebrate his birthday into this world. And of course, today is the birthday of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And of course, she is very, I don't have a word, right? She's so important to God's plan for the salvation of the world. She's like a master key to God's plan for the salvation of the world. And one of the first things this teaches us is that, you know, not everything you need to know is in the Bible. Notice we didn't have a reading today about the birth of Mary. It's nowhere recorded in the sacred scripture. So we can't find everything we need for our salvation written down in the Bible. It's, a much, bro it's much broader than that. In fact, to find the truth, my dear friends, you know, we have to, it has to be, you know, we look for it in the Bible 
either implicitly or explicitly. And then we look for it in the sacred tradition of the church. So we have the sacred word, the sacred scripture, and then the sacred tradition of the church, and then the living magisterium of the church. And when you find the truth in these three places, then you have a more complete picture. So this just shows us how important Mary is, and her story of her birth is not recorded in Scripture. It is in another book. You might want to look it up sometime. The Apocryphon of James, it's called. And in this book, we even get very important things about the life of Mary, like her parents' name, Joachim and Anne. They come from this book, the Apocryphon of James, and you can look it up online. I'm sure it's on one of the websites. You can read this whole book uh, that does talk about the birth of Mary. But in relation to that, you know, so everything we need is not in the Bible, and again, as a priest, everything that I have to preach and talk about is not in the Bible. There are some topics, some things that are never going to come up in the readings, and yet, as a priest, you know, I'm obligated to, to teach about these things and to say something about these things as well. And today, I think the Lord was asking me to preach about contraception. It's never going to come up in the readings, yet it's a great evil in our world that the church is uh, standing up against. In fact, if you think about going back to the Apocryphon of James, if, if Joachim and Anna had used contraception in the ancient world, we wouldn't have Mary and we wouldn't have Jesus. So you can see it's a great evil. In fact, it's the exact opposite of what Mary does in our scriptures when Mary says, gives her fiat to the Lord, let it be done to me according to your will. Right? Contraception is stay out of my business, God. I got something I'm doing here. I have my own thing I'm doing, so just go away. The exact opposite of Mary, is it not? So I, um, I've been rereading these books right now, Beginning Apologetics, Beginning Apologetics, number five, they're little handbooks, and this one is uh, Beginning Apologetics, Tough Answers to the Moral Questions, and I made you all a handout there in the front row. I copied two pages just about contraception, the church's teaching on contraception, and some of, its, uh, some of the arguments that the church puts forward. I'm not going to read them all, but I did want to talk about them a little bit today. So one of the things the church teaches about contraception is that it is, of course, totally based on the natural law. And the natural law is our human reason's participation in God's will. So even with the gift of human reason God has given us, we can participate in God's will by using our brains. <laughs> and obviously... Uh, this, this is right in concurrence with natural law that, you know, the, the, the purpose of marriage is uh, begetting of children and the, the good of both spouses. So that is the whole foundation of the married life, the whole foundation of the world. Everything comes from the family, all priests, all nuns, all sisters, all consecrated virgins. Everybody has a celibate life. They all come from families. And this is God's will that the, the greatest vocation that he has called into existence is the married vocation, and from the married vocation come all children and come our family. So even with our natural reasoning, we can see that uh, contraception is just, again, telling God to beat it, get out of here. 
I have my own plan. I don't care about your plan. So contraception. And even in marriage, the sexual instinct must be kept under control because sex is permitted in marriage. doesn't mean that it can be used in an unbridled way. So um, God has that under control with marriage. And, and sexual acts are noble and worthy in marriage. These acts remain lawful even if they are infertile due to factors outside the will of the husband and wife, medical conditions, or someone's menstrual cycle. So the, the sexual acts themselves are worthy and noble, and they remain lawful even when they, for some reason, can't produce life. So if we examine the nature of marriage with reason through natural law, it discerns that the marital act has two essential meanings a purposes, a procreative or life-giving purpose, and a unitive love-giving purpose. Therefore, every marital act must respect and safeguard these two elements. A couple must not do anything that would deliberately attack or suppress either the unitive or the procreative part of the marital act. So, that's some of what the church teaches about contraception. I recommend the little, if I, I only made 10, so I might run out. But come and see uh, Annalise, and she'll help me make some more copies <laughs> if you want to look at this. So as we celebrate this beautiful birthday of Mary today, and as she, her role in God's salvation history is so primary, we can pray today for people who don't understand how wrong contraception is, and we can bring them unto Mary's protective and her beautiful, nurturing love and care.